nice things. Hello, good evening, and welcome to another fun-packed, thrill-filled edition of Nice Things. Nice Things. Ooh, yes, very, very uh, evocative this week, dear. Yes, dear. Um, The antidote to modern living, and joining me, Sir Michael Livesley, this week we have... Um, uh, Paul Corbett and Paul Barker. <laughs> and it's hello from him. And it he's not indeed, he's not supping Guinness there, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. No, it's it's something far more uh, moderate. It's Coke time, Zero, it? Michael, because uh, it's hot. Coke because zero. it's hot again. And I, I know that I've promised you nice weather, by which I mean yes. a tempest. It's, yes. It's not letting it's it's letting me down every week. This isn't. It? I don't understand why it's still hot. You'd think it was summer, wouldn't you? You would. I mean, no, it shouldn't no. be. Now. We've had summer. We had the week. Yes, that's enough. That's all that you need. I think summer for boys like you and I was spent with the curtains drawn, um, waiting for the BBC to put those Saturday Night Carry On films on so we could record them. Well, pretty much. I mean, but, but I remember summer. When I was young, I mean, I was I was around, but I can't remember the. the was it seventy six, which was a blister, a really uh, hot one, yeah. Right, I can't remember it, but I was around for it. But I do remember other summers, which it felt like it was hot, but not for very long, and yeah, and that would be it. But then again, when we used to go on holiday, it was always camping holidays, so we'd go off into the Brecon Beacons or something like that. So you could guarantee Wonderful. you get one nice day, and then poof, down it would go. In fact. Remember last week we were talking surprisingly enough about the weather. Um, yes, and you mentioned was it the uh, the prediction that there isn't a hurricane on the way? Don't worry. Yes. The BBC. When that happened, that hurricane, I was on a campsite. Wow. Um, in Grasmere in the Lake District, right? And it was the it was a big sports field that they've got with a, a ring of caravans there. And I went out into the middle of it, into the middle of this field, whilst it's blowing a gale and I said to my mom I said I'm going to go out there and she went yeah right. I probably <laughs> would, you know you shouldn't probably not say that but, um, but I, I went out into the middle of this gale and I was picked up suddenly by Gus literally picked up and it must have pushed me about 20 foot backwards wow and landed on my ass and it was wonderful I absolutely loved it but then I can remember that uh, my dad being a bit hacked off because we were told it was too dangerous to drive home and then the police came round, and it was now you've got to put all these caravans together so that they're uh, protecting each other. It was uh, I love that. Oh yeah, Abs- that was like an episode of Survivors, wasn't it? It was absolutely. I was very exciting, but I would have cried better than Keith Jane. But, oh uh, yes, yes, well, yeah, yes, absolutely. we all would, dear. I think he was so, serving yeah. it all up for stick of the dump. I think absolutely. Um, I remember the hurricane. I remember I came home at dinner time for some reason, hmm. and I could never remember what it was. I remember coming on. It has something to do with Picton's <coughs> farm in Haydock and me right. mum. Don't know beyond that. Um, it's funny how these details get lost within the mists of time. I think that was a lovely anecdote, though. It was a lovely anecdote, but I remember coming <laughs> on. The, the only bit that's, well, it isn't even remarkable anyway. But I remember coming <laughs> home and uh, the telly had said that, was it the Seven Oaks that blew down? Mm. Those the the oaks that were meant to have been planted by Henry the Eighth or something That's like right, that. Yes. Yes. Yeah, the hurricane was a big deal to us, wasn't it? I mean, you know, I can't believe that we still. T- it just you know, if it was out in uh, in in the boonies in America, they'd be like, "Oh, we had three of those last week." You Absolutely, know, we had yeah. one. We could only afford one. 
We could. Uh, but then you know, extreme weather when you're a child is always going to be exciting. I, I remember whenever it would hail or it would snow or something, it was like, it's not, it's not been on for long. Do you remember, did you more. get sent home from school when it snowed? Yes. Oh, yes. Oh. They were the most fantastic days ever they were. I remember it very well. I remember getting a beezer from uh, David Shaw's paper shop on the way home. He used to have like a little rack at the bottom of the comic thing where he'd reduce uh-huh. comics that were no longer in date. I don't know why they did this anyway. So for 2P, I got the Christmas beezer. And it was uh, DC Thompson used to do this lovely thing where they put snow on all the letters <clears> of the comic. I don't know if <clears> you're not really a comic reader, are you? I got the Beano. So do you I remember the get... Christmas Beano? They'd have the snow on the letters. I do, I do. I got the Beano for about ten years from when I was five, I think. I did get the Beano and the Dandy, and then I was told, harsh economic times, you've got to make a choice. And yeah. it was either Dennis... The... No, it wasn't. That's not true. I think... Do you know what it was? Was... This is odd. I think I may have slightly fancied, bearing in mind I was six, I may have slightly fancied Minnie the Minx. Minnie the Minx. I was more of a Beryl the Peril kind of guy, you know? Which which one was she? She was she in the was... topper. So I don't think your ah. pocket money would have stretched to that as well. It, it absolutely did. See, I had I a wa- paper round. And I supplemented ah. all those sort of uh, juvenile fantasies with uh, looking at the page threes when I used to walk round delivering papers. So yes. you didn't have to put up with the whole thing of searching through bushes for pornography. Oh, we had uh, the embankment of the M6, which ran through, it still ran, runs through Haydock, and the uh, the embankment there was just littered. And and when I say porno mags, I don't mean like Razzle and Escort and all these. I mean like really hardcore Danish filth. You know what I mean? So it was kind of like I'd never seen porn. Well, apart from Linda Lasardi's Narks, I'd yes. never seen porn. And, these things were shocking, right? And and of course, of course, they were, they were far too decent to be left lying around. Well, so, of course, I took them home, as, as, mm-hmm. as boys do. Uh, the tamer ones, it has to be said. Um, and, yes, mother found them. And so, of course, uh, what, what would any, any self-respecting cha- child do? I blamed Paul Fishburne. Not well, expecting my mother to then go marching round to Paul Fishburne's. Oh, I think it was quite the spectacle, Paul. I can imagine. Yes. I can imagine. I do remember uh, a friend of mine, and this isn't me trying to get out of it and saying it was some other boy. Um, a, friend of, <laughs> a friend of mine um, got a copy of Playboy um, when it featured a woman who was in um, Baywatch, and her name is almost impossible to pronounce. It's something like Erica Eleniak. I think something right. like that, um, and there's a picture of her um, with with her bosoms out, and across the top it says Erica Eleniak, and then his mum found it and added a speech bubble coming out of her mouth, so it said Erica Eleniak says Nicholas is a very naughty boy. <laughs> <laughs> you see the difference here. The red-blooded Catholics are straight round to the mother's house, whereas the sort of more mild-mannered Protestants are like, oh, no, 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 I think we can learn a lesson from literary history here. Absolutely. And yes, she turned absolutely. it into a, um, what was it called? Who did the wood woodcuttings? Who did gin? Like, the Hogarth. She went, yes. oh, Hogarth with your friend. She did, yes. I think that's a rite of passage that, that doesn't happen anymore, no pun intended. I mean, you you can be on a bus and there'll be some lad just sat watching hardcore filth on his phone. I and know, you're kind of like, um, oh, oh, I don't know what to but do here. What I never understood 
is why did they always end up in bushes? Because it, it happened across the country. Everybody's right. got that story, right? So you you get your dirty magazine and you have a read of it, and then you think, now I must take it to the to the hedgerow and rip it to pieces. What, what was that about? Right. Was this a tradition? Now I so I got told once the reason they were on the embankment near me. Uh, was it was lorry drivers coming back from the continent who were like, well, oh, best get rid of this. But what about when it is just in your commoner garden woods, as you point out? Yeah. So um, I, I I think there's two two facets to this. First of all, Chapu doesn't want Mammy to find them, as he's, no, he's not got a Paul Fishburne to blame it on. Right. Um, and then there are people, you know, the ripped up ones, as you say. Yeah. Is there some strain of... of you know, guilt in there, some some sort of, you know, post is it post coital when it's on your own, whatever that's called. Well, yeah, it guilt. could be that. I mean, it could be that that lovely repressive thing that we have to do with anything saucy in this country. You know, I blame the Victorians entirely. Um, yes, but maybe it is. Maybe it is just that residual guilt from a hundred years ago, where they said if you do that, you'll go mental. I, it, maybe it's that. I don't know what it is, but I know I remember once there was a, a guy I knew, and we were t- having this same conversation. He said that in the woods near to where he lived, he used to always go and you know use this stash, uh, and he'd be like, oh, there was always a stash of dirty books there, so he'd go and uh, you know read through them to issue, and and then he'd leave, you know, sated. And then he said one day he went there and he, he did the usual thing you know quick quick look round in, into the dirty book stash we go he moved the rocks or whatever it was they were under and he said there was a note on it saying that hi these are my books uh, I've been watching you enjoying them please carry on and, and when he told me that it's just like oh so that adds an entirely sinister twist to this doesn't it that really does so maybe maybe all of these hedgerows were being watched who knows who I do knows because i've might have had a peek at some point when i was like, in, uh, I, w- I wouldn't have i wouldn't have took the old chap out in public though no, oh, no, no, I don't think so. Just no. in the bank, in the bank for later. Of um, course, yes, yes, because yes, I mean, we were still of that age group where one could uh, could still have an Edwardian wank, where you just needed your imagination and the light streaming through the French windows. Mm. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but um, yeah. So speaking of Edwardian wank, have you uh, have you bought yourself anything nice this week, dear? Well, I have. Now, now this is a thing because, and this is after last week, of course, where I was a little cross um, about this, a little bit about the state of everything. Um, now that and, was magnificent. Well, it was tiring, certainly, and I yes. stand by every word. But I, I am, however, Michael, I'm somebody who is prepared to sometimes think. And all right, do I need to rethink things here? So I thought, has the time come where I need to start watching films? Ah. And then I thought, no. But then I oh, okay, got to. So what I did was I, I ordered some films uh, for myself to watch. I had a look at the current stock of films that are doing the rounds. And there's Wonder Woman, but it's not the proper lady. It's some woman. Mm. It's not Linda Carter. So I'm not interested. Not having it. Um, and then there was some, you know, it's all it's all um, gnomes looking for things, isn't it? And, oh, uh, Lord and of the Rings and that. Right, I'm not going to watch that, obviously, because how long are you? They're three hours each. Oh, yeah? oh it's quicker to go to New Zealand. It's quicker to read the fucking them. book. Yes. You know, absolutely yes. not. I'd have to commit to what? The, the 
nine hours of the Lord of the Rings, and then somebody said to me, oh, well, if you're going to watch that, you've got to watch The Hobbit. There's nine hours of that. Well, no. you will be pleased to hear that they've just completed a new TV series of The Lord of the Rings. Oh, why? Which is even... I've no idea. I suppose they've got a uh, milk that titty. Uh, um, I, I, um, but I remember a chap working on the house once, and he was like that. Oh, have you ever watched uh, Harry Potter? And I was like that. No. No, absolutely not. No. Oh, no, you've got to watch Harry, Harry Potter. It's, it's like The Hobbit, but better. Mm. Ah, Which they, sh- they should put that on the back of the books. Yeah, like I mean, The I've Hobbit, not, but better. Yes, I've not watched the Harry Potter films because oh, no. I'm not 12. No. I like to think. Um, but, so I thought, let's get some films. Let's get some proper cinema going here. Um, and so I did. I've got... Um, I mean, they're not exactly contemporaneous. Um, I've got It Happened Here. Ah. Uh, so It Happened Here is basically what would have happened if D-Day had gone the other way and the Nazis had come over and invaded. And what's fascinating me about this one, first of all, it's British. It's a British film, obviously. But um, it's the fact that the two people who made it, the two two producers who made it, started making it, and it took them six years to make. And when they started making it, one of them was 18 and one was 16. Good Lord. Now, I couldn't focus for more than 30 seconds at the age of 16, but but they did this until their early 20s. So I went for It Happened Here, and then I went for uh, Zitra Vistuma O Aparium Sicasium, which translates as Tomorrow I'll Wake Up and Scald Myself with Hot Tea. Now then, this is a Czech film, um, which I'll just read you the back, and you'll see why I had to get this. Um, sometime in the near future, time travel is a reality, and a group of neo-Nazis hijack a rocket to return to 1944. They plan to deliver a hydrogen bomb to Hitler, ensuring a victorious outcome to World War II, but their meticulous plans are fatally derailed by a stale bread roll. Wow. How could you not love that? How could you not? You're, you're, so it's very much sort of alternate Nazi timelines here we're going for. Absolutely. Well, I, lo- I love a comedy Nazi. I was brought up with a lower low. Um, You're not allowed me- to now, apparently. apparently I, I, no, I, I know. Shall. I agree. I, I, uh, Paul, I'm with you. The campaign starts here to bring Nazis back into comedy. Well, I'll t- they are already there a little bit. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Because you know how you can now pay celebrities to say happy birthday? Yeah. And they'll send you that, right? Um, you can get some... I, I don't recognise half of them. I know that if I wanted Jordan to say happy birthday, then I've got to pay her £495. And I'm wow. not going to do that. However, for £40, you can get a personalised message in character from Richard Gibson as her flick. Now that is the gift that keeps on giving. Now that is. I watched one of these. Someone had been sent uh, a happy birthday one from him. And he's in the full uniform with the hat and everything. And he's just, oh, I've been told it is your birthday. I'm not very happy about this. And then at the end, he just goes, happy birthday. Now go away or you'll be shot. <laughs> Brilliant. That's wonderful. Comedy but, Nazis. However, not, not comedic violence is Punishment Park, which we chatted mm, about before we came yes, on. Peter, Peter Watkins. Watkins. Yeah. Now, Peter Watkins... Oh God! I well, I've been trying. I was trying to get. I, 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 as we said, and I, I tried to get it a while back when I was getting a collection of his stuff together. So, mm. I managed to get Monk. He did one about Edvard Monk. I got that. Yeah. Um, the War Game, which, mm. which is pretty easy to get. 
uh, Culloden, and oh. the one that was really interesting to me was Privilege, mm. which starred uh, Paul Jones. Paul Jones, uh, yeah. Yeah, whereby he's a pop star, but the government are controlling him and thereby controlling the youth via their uh, pop star. Very interesting, uh, really good. But this is something Park, I've yeah. never seen. Yeah, Punishment Park. Well, Punishment Park, um, I mean, I think that rather than talking about that, if we, uh, Peter Watkins himself... Now, there's a man. I mean, for any of you who don't know Peter Watkins' work, um, the first thing is he doesn't like working with actors, which is unusual for a director. Mm. He prefers real people because he says you get an honest reaction. So the cast of Punishment Park, there's about 30 people in it, and only two of them had ever done any acting at all. And the rest of them have never, ever done anything. And he just puts them in real situations and says, react. Um... Um, he started, um, I might get some of this wrong if, if you jump in, he starts as an amateur filmmaker working in Cambridge and the first film he made was he restaged the Hungarian uprising, the student uprising in Hungary uh, in the 50s, but he did it on a budget of nothing and he had a little wind-up 8mm camera and of course there was still bomb damage everywhere in the 50s so it looked... You know, it was easy enough to get a place that yeah. was a wreck. And there's a lovely sequence in uh, this short film of a tank arriving. And you think, bloody hell, I thought he had no money. It's a car, and he's built the tank as a... as a, It's a wicker frame, and the rest of the tank's made of cardboard, and he stuck it over a car, and it gets driven in. It's absolutely beautiful. And off the back of that, right, he then approached the BBC to say, look, I can make these things. Have you got anything going in the news department? And a memo flies around the BBC saying, he's absolutely brilliant, but we could never have him in the news department because if people saw this, they'd never believe the news again because it's so well done. So he was taken on, though, to make, of course, dramas, and that the first one being Culloden, mm. where he shot the Battle of Culloden, 1746, as though news cameras had been there. Mm. So it's like a fly-on-the-wall documentary about a historical event, and it's brilliant absolutely brilliant there is one actor i recognize in there and i can't remember his name now it's roy something he was in the last series of ace of wands and he was in the jack the ripper with michael Caine. but he's the one actor that i recognize he was still an amateur then and of course he does the war game and the war game is a response to what would happen if a nuclear bomb was dropped in britain this is 1965 and so it's incredibly well researched and it's totally honest and because it was honest about what would happen it's banned and when i was reading up on this one of the very last official documents signed by winston churchill was to say this must never be shown right churchill died so soon after that that this must never be shown so it wasn't uh, it was shown in america and it got the oscar for best uh, best documentary picture, and yet we couldn't see it until 1985. And Watkins, of course, being who he is, is like, well, okay, no, and left uh. the country and didn't come back. And then he moved to America, where he made Punishment Park. Then he was in France, where he made La Commune. And now, as I understand it, he's in his 80s, and he lives in a rainforest. Wow. So, fascinating, fascinating man, though. His yeah. work is just beautiful but punishment park i think if you ever watch that we should talk about that because yeah we'll die next week yeah i watched it last night and i'm still a bit like oh that's that's a bit harsh which it should be 
genius director. The sort yeah. of director you don't get now. Because he's just oh, there yeah. with his with his little 16 mil cameras, handheld, no, uh, you know, naturalistic dialogue. You don't, you don't get that. Yeah, a... he was a total one-off, and and mm. I suppose that in many ways <laughs> he benefited from the work of like Ken Russell. You know, mm. Ken Russell made that portrait of Elgar. Yeah, uh, that's right. That's yeah. 1964 or something mm-hmm. like that, isn't it? And that's mm. sort of you can see how he built upon the Elgar flick to push his own thing, but. And this is the thing that people need to realise when they're starting off. A good, another good example of this is Shane Meadows. It's like, if you don't have the money, just do it anyway. Mm. Just do it with whatever equipment you've got hold of. Absolutely. And early Ken Loach as well, when you look at Cathy yeah. Come Home. Cathy Come Home has got a, a lot of sort of similar stylistic uh, points to Peter Watkins. But there is that thing now, isn't it, of... Um, you know, just give it a shot. Give it a go. Every single one of us, we've all got cameras. Well, Every yeah. single one of us has got a camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have a go at it. And that's why I loved the, um, you know, when Dogma films started coming out, the Dogma 95 convention, which basically tried to reclaim ownership uh, from Hollywood. And it had this uh, idea, this manifesto, where lighting has got to be natural, sound has got to be natural, there can't be a script, you've just got to improvise on yeah. location. And I was, th- when I read this... I was uh, going into my final year of uni in 1995, and I read this, and I I could do this, I could do this, and then you come to the final rule on the manifesto, which is it's got to be shot on 35mm film. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I'll just grab my big Panavision camera and all the film stock I've got. So straight away, you've got something that's meant to be freeing, but of course there are rules. But uh, So I'm going to give that a shot, Mike. I'm going to give a shot to watching some films this week, because you see, if I look up up here at the shelves of loveliness, there's a lot of television, but there's no films, so uh, we're going to give that a shot, though. So where's the demarcation point, though? Because some some films were made for TV, you know, and then you've got things like the Sweeney pilot, Regan, and that's ninety minutes. Mm. So, but it's got commercial breaks. Well, not on the DVD. It hasn't. No, but it should have. So the DVD's wrong. So as soon as that comes out on DVD with brake bumpers intact and the Thames logo at the beginning. Oh no, no, I'm sure that I'm sure that you can get that. But so so that passes muster if it's got the brake bumpers. It's all it needs. That's all okay. it needs. Look, you could you could put brake bumpers in Pulp Fiction. I'd sit down and watch it. Without it, you're not going right. to get me watching two and a half hours of Samuel L. Jackson saying "motherfucker" quite a lot. I'm afraid. Well, if if you if you watch Pulp Fiction, it's quite episodic, really. It and is. You could but, watch it in bits. No, you could, but then he does that stupid jumping up forwards and backwards in time. The only way I could watch that really and enjoy it is if somebody re-edited it and put it in a linear order. Yes, I often said I was going to do that, but obviously I never did. I bet you it's on YouTube in the right order. I bet It might you. be. I'll I bet you it is. Yeah. When I think of Pulp Fiction, I just think of Glastonbury 1995, where every night, you know, you'd be sort of, well, I say settling down in the tent. Not really. But you'd be, I don't know, whatever you were doing. And every night about midnight, it would start. You know, the film, they'd show it every night at Glastonbury. But that yes. film had such a massive impact on culture. I know it didn't with you, uh, obviously. Um, but Reservoir I remember, Dogs did. Reservoir Dogs had an impact. Well, Reservoir on me. Dogs. Do you remember Sean's show, Sean mm, Hughes? Yes. The end of one of his, where it was like the Women's Institute doing it. 
No, I haven't seen and that And they're all one. pointing the gun at each other. And there's like these old women are like that. Don't point that gun at my fucking daddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, And it's wonderful. brilliant. It's brilliant. I think it was that. Sean's show. I've probably got that wrong now. But um, yeah, I mean, he did have a massive impact on culture. You know, I mean, but... Mm. But speaking of the the one of the finest memories of Glastonbury was me and Alistair, my mate, we were watching the football. England and Portugal seemingly were on every year for a few years in these big tournaments in the summer. And we were getting like, you know, four of these Budweiser pints and a little cardboard thing. So it's like, save going the bar, man. It was like, fur dues, right? So so I'm stood there with me four, three pints in one hand, pint drinking, watching this footy. And all of a sudden I can hear sort of like this... This this running water noise and, and I'm like, oh, what's that? And I look round and Al's got his empty cardboard pint pot between his legs, <laughs> lad out, just pissing in it, just like that. <laughs> and I was like, oh right, he's like, I said, fezzy etiquette, man. I was like, oh right, okay, that's fair enough because I I I too will make use of this innovation. Yeah. So I mean, we're all in shorts. It's it's Glastonbury. It's hot. You know what I mean? So the next thing I'm like, here we go. Lad out, have a bit, yeah. have a bit of a pee in this cup, and and the guy in front of me turns around really fucking aggro, <laughs> and I was like, uh, and I was like, fezzy etiquette, man, and he's like, <laughs> and he just turned around, looked away, and I looked down, I was missing the cup entirely, <laughs> pissing on the ground, it was splashing up the backs of his legs. <laughs> So yeah, that never quite cuts it with him. The old excuse of fezzy etiquette, fezzy etiquette, no, no, no. man. Yes. Yeah, that's one of those troubles, though, isn't it? When you're at festivals or whatever it may be, and the toilets. I mean, it's such a cliche, but they're the thing that stop you going to these things, aren't they? Oh, those man. drops at Glastonbury. Have you have you ever been to a Glastonbury or a music festival? I've been to a music festival. I've not done Glastonbury, but really, um, I no. Uh, oh no. No, absolutely not. Lovely, lovely to see people perform. Lovely, lovely. Can I go for a piss? No, apparently no, not. No. So I think on those occasions, no, I think fezzy etiquette wings the day. But it's not just, unfortunately, it doesn't just end there, does it? There are other other reasons one must visit the small room, and well, and they are very unpleasant, let me oh, tell yes. you. When you yes. perform in there and you've got your own performers area with nicer toilets in it, it's better but it's still not nice. It's a not a nice thing. Fezzy, fezzy toilets go in the not nice thing box. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I got myself um, a signed photo of Rob Wilton, which which was like two pounds or something. You know, it was nothing. And uh, uh, best wishes, Rob Wilton to Valerie. So, which was interestingly enough, the name of the first pornography film I saw, but let's not go down that route right now. What, to Rob to- Wilton? Yes, it's one of his final works with his lad out. But uh, tell Rob Wilton, let's assume I thought he was a BBC sports person. No, no, no. Rob Wilton was the day war broke out. He was the comedian that Michael Williams was obsessed with. And then towards the end of his uh, life, Williams did did the whole routine. He says, who? I says, you. He says, me. I says, I. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my word. Yeah, Rob Wilton was one of uh, what Rodney Slater refers to as one of the North Country comics. Right. Um, like, you know, like Randall, like all these other guys. But, I mean, they're all fascinating to study. I mean, you know, Hal Reed, which I've, I've not got it here, but Hal Reed was a BBC celebrity for many years. I got a programme the other week of Hal Reed's show. And uh, Hal Reed, when he wasn't being one of the most famous comedians in the country, ran a sausage factory. 
up in Wigan or somewhere like that. <laughs> the family business. That's um, wonderful. I do love people like that. Like, um, it's straight away, I think, Hilda Baker and Jimmy Jewell. Oh. Uh, but a pickle factory, of course, yes. and it was a fictional one. But uh, I, I love that, and I love the fact that they hated each other. Yes, and they did hate each other. That wasn't hate. some story. They loathed each other. Loathed each other. By the time they got onto about series seven of Nearest and Dearest, they just wouldn't look at each other, no. even in rehearsal. And it would. It was that thing. They'd rehearse as though they were stood next to each other, but miles apart from each other, yeah. and just calling the dialogue across. We'll stand next to each other on the show, of course. But yeah. and if you look at those later series, they don't make eye contact with each other once. No, they just don't do it. And he hated um, when she'd always do the uh, "What time is it?" Oh, I must get a little and put yeah. on this watch. And you can see in the later series when she's about to do that joke, he just looks down, and you just see him go. Uh, every time yeah. and, but from what I can gather that wasn't just because he didn't like it he wanted people to see he didn't like it yes there, there was such animosity there yeah well I mean Jimmy Jewell I mean Jimmy Jewell and Ben Warris who was his cousin they were both from Leeds weren't they both born in the same bed eight years apart actually um, oh. but I mean Jimmy Jewell was a, a trooper and she by that time Unfortunately, she was suffering with dementia, wasn't she? In a time when it wasn't really uh, kind of understood as such. And yeah. um, when they did, when she did, uh, you're the one that I want with Arthur Mullard. And uh, it was rocketing up the charts, wasn't it? And then someone had the yeah. bright idea. I think Barry Cryer's in a documentary. He's like, someone had the idea of getting them on top of the pops. Terrible. And because yeah. she couldn't remember anything because mm. she was suffering with dementia. Yeah. Um, the woman who played, you know your last of the summer wine, the woman who played, was it April or something like that? The one who was having the affair with the old codger? Marina. Marina, that's name. it. Marina, yeah. She did a one-woman show as um, Hilda Baker a couple of years back. And she said she was, you know, really struggling with getting the script together and she could do with something, just something to get her teeth into about how Hilda Baker dealt with the, the diagnosis of dementia, not the diagnosis, but the realisation that she was suffering with dementia. And um, she got a call from her niece or something to say, you know, did she want to meet up for a chat? So she did anyway. And then um, she passed her a book or something like that. Um, and she said that she didn't know why, but she flicked to the back of the book and in there popped out a sheet of A4 where Hilda Baker had been like, I don't know what's happening to me. I can't remember that. Just the solid gold that she needed for this show like you know but no it's a tragedy I mean nearest and dearest but we had a rash of those didn't we and In Loving Memory was another one where the sort of patriarch would die at mm. the beginning of the series and the, then someone would end up inheriting you know the funeral home or uh, the yeah. pickle factory in the case of nearest and dearest and then a, a someone would come home like it was Christopher Beanie would oh did he live with Auntie Ivy I, I can't Auntie Ivy wasn't he sure. Auntie Ivy mm. He died, didn't he, not long ago? Christopher Beanie did, yeah, he did quite recently. His um, his son's on Twitter um, and is always posting these lovely pictures of his dad. Um, and you look at the, the career that man had. He was just working continuously from when he was a tiny child. Because he was in, um, was it the Grove family? Um, yeah, which was that's right. the very first soap opera, Live from Lime Grove. And Christopher Beanie's in there. And... You know, I mean, to have actually done that, the very first soap opera in the country, 
and to be still working and to have all this other work like upstairs downstairs in the middle of this massive career yeah stunning but no no longer with us but then again nor's um the lady who played marina and i'm tr- from last oh, she mind, passed she, on she died about i think it was last year that she died and i'm wow. trying to remember her name she can't have been that old no I'm, i i do feel like i might google this one because i feel i should almost but well, um, that's a good thing if, yeah. if you need to i got this as well whilst you're googling i went to the um you know morrison's have this table again where you give them more oh yes so i got myself um this uh, i've not looked at it yet um a sort of illustrated life story of dickens which which looks all right um there's some great uh illustrations as well uh as you can see that's a belt to that isn't it that's beautiful you'd have that framed yeah that's full of them and this which i'm not sure about i'm sure you know what this is biographical dictionary the the chamber's biographical dictionary i mean it's in look at that bastard Good God. So is that like a who's who sort of thing? I think it must be. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's one of the things one can browse through on a winter evening, dear boy. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, Jean Ferguson. That was her right. name. Uh, but I know she died uh, 2019, November 2019. She was only 74. Wow. Um, what a shame. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful comedic actress. actress. <laughs> you know, again, working until she died. Just wonderful. And again, like we were saying last week, you've got these wonderful older female performers, Beryl Reed, like you were saying last yeah. week. And are are we going to have any of those? I mean, Olivia Coleman will keep going, and I do hope she does. But are we going to still have these wonderful I eccentric older people? Is there know. a place? Olivia Coleman falls into that bracket of performers who seem to, whether consciously or not, they are imitating Ricky Gervais's meter and his style mm. and it, and it's a weird one because you notice it in a lot of performers these days where it's like so I did that no not really uh, yeah and it's like all right well he does that and he does it very well that's his thing but she does that as well do you yeah. know what I mean and there's a lot of people do that I'm sure someone much cleverer than me will have uh, put that into some form of words that's understandable but I don't know if you see what I mean no, I, I absolutely of... do. It's that. Is there an original? Where's the next really original person coming from? Like, for example, Miranda Hart. Great, brilliant, but you're doing Eric Morecambe. Yeah, really. That's what you're doing there. Where is that sort of like genuine originality? I put it down to the fact that they don't drink. I, that I think, could be part of it. I think there's a, a large part of it that, that is that. That is that that you don't have that freedom because there's the, the, they aren't pissed. There's that, and there's also the flip side of being drunk, which is the the sort of existential dread that it leaves people with, that 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 leaves them in that. Well, we're talking heavy drinkers anyway. That leaves them in that position whereby they've got to they've got to work their bollocks off to evade their own senses. Yes. I mean, Mike Yarwood, there's a great interview with Mike Yarwood where he's asked about his drinking. And he says, well, how much did you drink? And he's like, oh, it wasn't Oliver Reed levels, you know, just just enough to dull the pain. And it's just like, yeah, I think we all get that. And and this goes back to that thing about, um, you know, in the old days, let's be honest, 
what has happened to the um, entertainment industry, it's now become the preserve of middle class, upper middle class people. Whether we like to admit that or not, or whether that sounds uh, in any way uh, prejudiced or not. And I've no prejudice against people who were born into a better situation than I. Good luck to yeah, you. Absolutely. I don't mind where anyone's from. Um, but there is that sort of thing now, isn't it? It's whereby it's kind of like people who would have traditionally have gone into the Admiralty or the Foreign Office. It's like, oh well, you know, go and see Banny. He's at the BBC now. He'll give you a he'll give you a job. And uh, and there yeah. was I remember a tweet went out a few years ago. You know, when Times Radio was founded, yes. and it was all like Giles Corran and all these people. And someone rather pithily. Uh, retweeted it with the phrase, the first rule of London Media Club, choose your parents wisely. And it, it, it's absolutely the case now that it's kind of fetid and stultified because it doesn't have this fresh intake of blood. You know, when they go on about diversity and inclusivity and all that stuff, they just tend to replace posh white people with posh black people. Mm. You know, that's the way it seems to me. It doesn't seem like many people from the, you know, from the street from the slums of Rancorn. Um, it doesn't seem like many of these people get a sniff anymore, not least the fact being the cost of training. It's the cost of training. I think it's also the fact that we don't have the club circuit like we used to. We don't have yep. the working men's clubs at all, of course. Um, but these places where you would learn your skill, we don't have them. I think that's that's a problem. But yeah, the cost of yes. training as well. The, you're right. I think now... Um, Acting is it's a rich boys game, really. Let's be honest. If you want to train, yeah. then my god, it helps if if mother's an actor, father's a director. You can get to RADA um, to do your masters because I think people tend to forget it's not always where you do your degree; it's where you do your masters that really co uh, right. that really means something. But y you've got to have money to train, and yeah. the majority don't, and we we don't have that breeding ground anymore. It's just, it doesn't exist. And I yeah. think that's a, it's a shame. <coughs> it is God a shame. You. Oh, thank yes. you. But that's a good point you raise about the working men's clubs. I'd not, I'd not thought of that. That is a very good point because lots of that talent came through from that, didn't it? Loads did. Of course, it used to be that these were, well, the, the club circuit, I think, used to be represented uh, really well. If you think about the wheel tappers and shunters uh, yeah. club, um, you've got that. But even that, that sort of whole cabaret thing, that we used to have, and you'd have it even with the good old days and that sort of thing, which was just basically a working men's club in Victorian costume yeah. in the City Varieties in Leeds. But that's gone as well. There yeah. isn't a variety sort of thing to watch anymore, is there? There's nothing like no. that. No. It's been replaced, of course, with things like Britain's Got Talent. Um, but yeah, it's... Pff. Sadly. But that's more like a sort of, you know, that's kind of laugh at the plebs thing, oh. isn't it? Britain's Got Talent. Absolutely. I mean, I've never watched it. I'm presuming you haven't. Well, Ooh. yes, I... Well, yeah, look, I've watched it through as a, as a cultural observer. Right. I felt that maybe I should have a look, but you can't avoid it. The clips that are always appearing on Twitter and stuff. But, of course, it is. It, it goes one of, one of three ways, doesn't it? It goes either they are attractive... And they're half decent. Or they're deeply unattractive, but they've got talent. So you wheel out Susan Boyle and everyone yeah. points and laughs and then she opens her mouth and they can sing and everyone goes, Oh, isn't that lovely? Yeah. Well, don't don't laugh at her on the grounds of her looks. Or you get the third type, which is where they're basically loonies. 
and that makes good telly but it's no better than in the 1500s paying a farthing yeah. to go to the bethlehem mental hospital and watch people fight each other for your own yeah. entertainment yeah it just it's fairly disgusting it's not like opportunity knocks it's like not you like wouldn't have faces. been down that bloody hospital I my arsehole i might have popped across to the south bank to watch a bird baiting maybe just occasionally <laughs> <laughs> We had the local legend. There's a local legend from Witness called Johnny Rocco, right? And right. Johnny Rocco did Britain's Got Talent. You can go and watch the, the clip if you want to online. And it is just hilarious. It is absolutely hilarious because he gets up and gives it the full hit of foul. You know what I mean? And of course, Proper straight away. Well, it's a banker. You can see Cowell's face straight away. He's got a banker here. He's like, this is great because as you say they want the you know with all the good grace in the world Johnny's not the most attractive of Ooh. men so they want the the person who looks a bit disheveled who looks a bit you know he's he's just the sort of he's just an old guy now yeah. I mean in the 60s Johnny Rocco he's one of these guys what I love about Johnny is and I've not seen him for a long time but I would see him and he would he would be thrust in a cassette in your hand and this is in his 60s and he, he you know his big break was just around the corner mm. you know and those guys I know a lot of the, well I don't know a lot anymore but we don't see anyone anymore do we no. but there's there's a lot of those guys and I love them I call them lifers there's a guy called Mad Clive, Clive Little, who lives around here as well. And he's the same. It's just like, you know, all right, little, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do this, going to do that. You know what I mean? And it's kind of like, despite the years passing and them getting older, they've still got that hunger. They've still got that desire, you know, to, to be, I suppose, be famous or do their art or whatever it may be. Um, and I, 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 I don't know if, again, we're producing people of those sort of tenacious characters who want it, right? Mm. They're never going to get it. No. But there's a there's some form of nobility in a lifetime dedicated to your art, whatever. I mean, Lemmy said that if you if you do what you do long enough, ultimately somebody will notice. Not true. No. <laughs> no. You know. Um, but you must know people like that yourself, whether they're painters or sculptors or actors or musicians or whatever it may be. They can Who always just keep yeah. going. Uh, there's a lovely, oh, there's a absolutely one of my favourite clips ever, um, which is the lovely Noel Gordon. And back to Crossroads. Back to Crossroads. Uh, back to Crossroads. Uh, Noel Gordon, uh, who would. Absolutely. If anybody criticised Crossroads around her, God help you. Um, because, you know, she knew what it meant to ordinary people, to, to like an average mum who's had a crappy day. You can watch 20 minutes of... Nice. Of, and just take yourself out of it. And the, the two things that I think of there straight away, there's, um, there's a story where her and Ronald Allen uh, were rehearsing an argument. And they're in the rehearsal rooms, which were above a slaughterhouse... So everyone who rehearsed, they say the stench of corpses when they were rehearsing Crossroads was unbelievable. Um, but they went for it. They're going for it in this rehearsal. They're tearing strips off each other in this rehearsal. Then they come to the recording and they tone it down. And at the end of the record, they get to the end of the show because it's the last scene. And the director flies down to the studio and says, well, what happened? What happened to the argument? And Noel Gordon says... Well, people don't want that sort of thing after they've uh, after they've been work all day. 
So, no, we've got to keep it in this, you know, you know, I'm not going to shout. We'll be cross with each other, but I'm not shouting at him. So you've got that. But when she was cross, there was uh, an award when they were given an award. And I think the show got the TV Times Best Programme Award from like 1972 to 1977 every year. And in the end, they stopped putting it uh, as one of the entrants because it just got it all the time. Wow. And it was pissing, and it was pissing Granada off with Corrie is the other thing. But the last time that she got it, she goes up there with her award and she said, of course, you'll often read in the press that we are amateur. Well, amateur means for the love of. And if that's the case, I am very proud to be an amateur. <laughs> and I think it's that. I think it's the whole sort of thing of, of people needing to be able to yeah. take a pride in what they do. You know, um, and and not have the piss taken out of them. But if you look at your mate Johnny Rocco, go back even thirty years ago, there would have been a working men's club there. Oh yeah, and he could have gone and he could have sung, and that would probably have been enough. He could sell his C sixties. Well, he did. He used to do. There was a little bar, and it was above like a taxi office or something and there was this little bar and it was called Jay's I know it was opposite the dole when I used to sign on and it, the sign was just Jay's letter J apostrophe S and you'd right. go up these stairs and in there there'd be an old boy on a Hammond and Johnny giving it the hey do foul business you know what I mean um mm. and you could drink in there till six in the morning as well it was one of those places you know but I mean They've all gone. All all this whole world has gone, hasn't it? I mean, you, if you read Ricky Tomo's book, um, you know, I know, I know you uh, you don't want to have anything to do with Ricky Tomo. What was it? It's shoving, only when he eats shoving club biscuits biscuit. up his ass or something. I'm not having. Say. I'm not having the biscuit thing, but the rest of it. No, I've I've been to his club in uh, in Liverpool a few times and seen yeah. him as compa, and I actually love that. Yeah, because he's great. it does. It stands out as being something different. You know that you can actually go to, and it's just like. And I hate to say this, but it's it's normal people in there, yeah. isn't it? You know what I mean? It's not pretentious. It's, I think the no, royal court's like that. You know, people people go on about the royal court. The, the one of the snootier comments about it is that it's red top theatre. Mm. But you know, when I've been to the royal court to see a show, and it's like, yes, it is very broad comedy. Yeah, mm. you know, yes, it is unashamedly scouse broad comedy. But yeah. I'm sitting amongst people who would never go to a theatre. You know, and, and they're having a ball. And there's a loyalty there as well, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. The most, you know what, out of all sort of theatre and all sorts of stuff, the thing that I've done that has been most popular was a broad comedy set in a brothel starring Chrissy Rock and Lewis Emmerich from Brookside uh, called liveabird.com. <laughs> and, and it was all just jokes. And it was just basically about shagging. And it was filth. But it packed out the floral pavilion, which seats 815. It go. packed it out for a week, and it could have done a second week easily. Whereas if I take a bit of Shakespeare out there, I'll get 70 people a night. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. you know, there is a lot to be said for that. But I think that for these poor buggers who grew up with that circuit, the fact that it's died, it's died. No, it hasn't. It's been taken away. It's been, yeah. We've been told, no, that's wrong, that's unpopular. Look at Don Estelle. Right, Don Estelle from It Ain't Half Up, Mum. You know, if you listen to Whispering Grass, beautiful voice, Davis, beautiful voice. But he ended up in the pith helmet, and he'd stand in shopping centres singing Whispering Grass, trying to sell his C60s. 
That should not have happened. No. That man had a beautiful voice. He was a he was brilliant comedically. And yet he ends up in this situation where he's just stood there dressed as lofty, singing to shoppers who have just want to go to uh, where shoppers go. I don't where's normal? Um, uh, Poundland. Poundland. Yeah, that sort of Last place. time I saw him was in the Pith Element. It was on an advert. Mm. It was on some TV. Hang on a minute, wasn't he in the League of Gentlemen? Doing a, a zoo on a roundabout. That's his. I think that's his last appearance. Yeah, and he looked properly old in that. Mm. Yeah, I he mean, did. I mean, yeah, I know that whole world has gone. And I sort of, I put a post on my Twitter last week about you know I miss the smell of stale ale, fags, and um, you know that come wafting out of pub doors mm. on those days, and the noise that used to come out of these places, you know, yeah, that roaring. Yeah, sound. yeah, yeah, oh, yeah and and. You know, brute for brute thirty three and graft. Mm. That was another element of that aroma. But and that I mean, enticing thing of not being allowed in. You yeah. would stand outside. And I remember a few times um, waiting outside for my dad, and people would go in and out the pub, and the door would open. I would go yeah. and quiet again. And that desire to go in there yeah. and have a look, and then it died just around the time I started going to the pub. Yeah. The Citadel, wasn't it? It was the Citadel. Mm. You weren't allowed in. And the no. noise was the incantation. I mean, mm. yeah, it's, it's like you get told not to swear in pubs now. Yes. It's just like, oh, fuck off. Oh, I'm, I'm barred from a very well-known theatrical pub in, in the city centre uh, oh, for yes. swearing. Oh, yeah, I shan't name names. But I am. I, well, I don't know if I still am because I've refused to go back since that happened, which is probably in the, like 1998. But it I was that thing. Yeah, don't don't swear. Is that what? I'm in the pub. Yeah, there are children here. Well, there shouldn't be. No, I it's wasn't a pub, to dear. To the pub. It's a pub. No. Uh, it's, no, that's the thing. It's all it's all gone wrong, dear. It's gone terribly wrong. It's gone terribly, terribly wrong, and it's uh, it's sad, isn't it? It's sad that those that that culture, the in culture, which has been the since time immemorial you've got this culture and then yeah. just now in our lifetime of course it's in our bloody lifetime isn't it yeah. all of a sudden that's yeah. oh no no you can't have that yeah why why would you want that eat eat a lentil no i don't want to oh have no. this it's home brewed ipa i don't want that i just want to just have a fag have a you know no no not no fags it, it... <sighs> i mean they're talking about banning fags smoking mm. outdoors now no yep I read that. Um, is it Philip Morris, the tobacco company in America, have come up with uh, a thing where they've said, look, you, you could get rid of smoking in 10 years in Britain, but they're saying that because they found a way of heating tobacco rather than igniting it. Right. So obviously they just want to sell more, but they're saying, oh, yeah, you could get rid. So, well, do we have to? It's are we not going to allow people... Smoke your tits off. I don't care. If you're going to die, just do it. But yeah. I don't feel I've got the right... To say don't, but we aren't in those times now. We're in the times of collective <laughs> responsibility. You've got to wear your mask because it protects me, and you've got to, you know, you've got to do all these things for me. And and like, I'll just put this out there on the record. I don't want you to do or anyone to do anything to protect me. I'm fine, thank you. As you say, smoke your tits off if you want to. Absolutely, drink your ass off. Yeah, nice things that's wise. What you want to do? Yes, nice things wise. Nice things wise. Um. If they're your nice things, then go for it. Absolutely. I used to love smoking. I do mm. miss it. 
I miss it terribly. This is why I've got this bloody vape thing. I've stopped smoking, so I've got this damn thing pumping strawberry-flavoured filth into my chest. Any good? No. I want a fag. Every I... day. I, I haven't smoked in seven years. Right. Every day, at some point, I go, oh, I could just do with a... Oh, no, have, you no, have you never had one? I have. Yes. yes. Oh, yes, I, I have. I, I slip maybe once a year or so. I do slip. Normally, yeah. if I'm very stressed, I'll go, oh, let's have a quick. But, and suddenly go, ah, the world's better. You take a, a complete break. It's a strange point. one, isn't it? There's nothing quite like tobacco. No, there isn't. From a drugs point of view. Nothing. You know, I mean, what was his name? Freud. He, um, he smoked his jaw off didn't he with cancer in the end he had he had half of his head removed but when he stopped smoking he couldn't work Mm. and that's what he said he's i just can't do and and i find that well i can now i can work but it's not like it used to be because the fag would be a reward it was there it was a line in the ground wasn't it absolutely i mean i remember when um Again, when I was writing, churning these scripts out for live TV, I did an awful lot of that writing in the Coach and Horses um, in Soho. Um, little table. So if you walk into the pub and you've got the bar, I know uh, the one. on the right, just by the entrance to the gents, there was a, a circular table. And I'd sit there and I'd write and it would just be pints all day. Not getting drunk because I was working, just pints. And then I finished a scene, fag. Yeah, and man. on to the next one. And it provides that coda. It provides that lovely, yeah. I've finished. Now we go again. Yeah. That's gone. That's yeah. gone. I think we're just meant to work and work and work. Yes. It's, it's, it seems to be, you know, the modern methodology, doesn't it? It's kind of, you know, yeah. Remove all risk from life. And it's nowhere near as much fun, I'm afraid. No, it really not. isn't. It it's really not. isn't. Um, so finally, we're oh. going to we're going to look at Mr. Duncan Maitland's CD. Duncan sent we us uh, sent us this CD, which is um, lullabies for the twenty first century, uh, mm. with a rather snazzy cover. I, I love the say, cover. That reminded me immediately of the opening titles of Ace of Wands. Yeah, that, that's right. That was yeah. what I got immediately from it when it popped through the door. Uh, I thought, oh, is it? Oh, no, it's not Ace of Wands. But it doesn't matter because it's rather good. I rather like it. What it do you think? is. Yes, I mean, Sean McGee is a name that I know on there, um, as is Tosh Flood. Tosh has done all kinds of things. I mean, Tosh was in uh, the Divine Comedy. He was doing stuff with them, and he was doing stuff with the Duckworth Lewis Method. That's uh, I, I kind of... He was in a band called Pugwash as well. That was the big deal. And wow. I first met um, Tosh with Thomas and um, the drummer. I can't remember his name right now. He'll bloody be upset, I'm sure. That I, but um, I've not been on Facebook for an awful long time, so do forgive me. Um and they all went to, they were at the Ruttles gig, uh, one of the Ruttles gigs in uh, Liverpool, and I met them all then. So um, I, I found this had some some sort of shades of that stuff. I think that the, the, the Pugwash boys and uh, Duncan are drinking from the same well, really. Mm. Um, and it kind of had tones of jellyfish for me and the Beach Boys and yes. really nice, some really nice stuff on there. Um, so, Duncan, well done, and thank you for uh, sending this along to us both. 
Um, Absolutely, we, we'll pop links on the on the Twitter yes. at Nice Things Show so that you can uh, you can find Duncan and uh, try and get hold of a copy. It is absolutely worth it, and I love. You know what I love is the cottage industry that seems to be starting up again around music. Mm. Um, the amount of of musicians who are bypassing the big labels. I yeah. love that. Um, if you, um, I, I've got, I've forgotten the name of the app. Is it SoundCloud? No, it, uh, Bandcamp. Um, mm. I've got an app um, yeah. where people release their music and it's always the same thing. So you can listen to it or you can have it on vinyl for £20. Yeah. Pounds. And I get at least one of those a month because I love the fact that it's it's what the artist wants from yeah. inception to release. It's what the artist wants. And get rid of that sheen. Don't tell me that it's got to sound like somebody else. I love the fact that we're getting this individuality back a little bit. It's yeah. wonderful. It needs to grow. It needs to grow. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, from um, a sort of an, in an industry point of view, you know, where they seem to be going down the model now of this, you have to be vaccinated, the vaccine passports and all this other stuff. I think that that is going to do... I mean, art needs to go underground at least once every century. And I think this is going to lead to that. Because wherever you stand on the uh, debate around uh, the vaccination issue, some people will not take it, and that's an end to it. And um, that will lead to a lot of people just going underground, then clubs will go underground, and music will go underground. And, and when you talk about where's that next thing going to come from, the same place it always does, the counterculture. Yeah. And that is what is going to happen here. So necessity is always the mother of invention. I don't know quite what shape it's going to take, but then I suppose I'm too old to be a part of its... You know, maybe I'm not, but I'd, I'd say that, you know, the people who are going to shape this have got a lot more energy than me, Paul. Oh, I would imagine so, yes. I, I like to be in bed by half past nine these days. Yes. So. No, yes, absolutely. Please. But to actually see that sort of starting up again, art has to be dangerous. Yeah, you know it has to be. There's a reason why dictators always kill the artists. That's right. It's you know, um, they're dangerous people. You yeah, know, they they will make you think. There's uh, one of the people who is uh, sentenced to punishment park. Yeah, uh, is I think based on Joan Baez, uh, and her crime is the songs that she's written, um, it, which are inciting young people to think. Yeah. Um, and it's a peculiar thing, you know, watch this film and all of a sudden you go, well, it doesn't seem that far-fetched now. Well, things like Bossa Nova were subvertive, weren't they? You know, people were locked away for Bossa, no uh, Bossa Nova music, which is, you know, when you think what oh. Bossa Nova music represents now. Absolutely. Or look at um, Desi Arnaz, you know, who came over from Cuba um, and trying to just get him out there. Um, I'm with him working with Lucy Ball and I Love Lucy. The reason that they went independent with Desi Lu Productions is because no bugger would make it because, oh, it's a bit foreign. We can't have that. We can't have right. him with his bongo drums. So they had to create Desi Lu Productions. But of course, Desi Lu Productions, without them, you wouldn't have Star Trek because they then right. took the risk on Gene Rodenbury and, and his work. Um, so yeah, it has to go a little bit underground and you've got to take those risks. Oh, absolutely. I think you'd like a world without Star Trek, wouldn't you? <sighs> Do you know, I don't know, actually, because I, I love Lost in Space, and that's around the mm. same time. So That's true. I, I like it, you know, if, if it's not virtuous, if it, if it, I love sci-fi when it realises it's a little bit silly. I yeah. love that. Um, and I think you do get that with 
uh, Erwin Allen. And I think you get it with Star Trek as well, within um, towards the end of its run, when it gets into its third mm. series, and it does go a bit mad. Yeah. It's, you know, it's not as bad as Space Vikings on the back of horses like Lost in Space has. But it, I, I do enjoy that sort of that insanity that yeah. you get in 60s sci fi. And of course, at the same time, you're getting um, Batman being made, which yeah. shows a lot of the uh, production crew of uh, Lost in Space. Right. So Paul Zaspunevich is one name I know from those credits. You see, this is all this is all hinting at a very different Paul than the one we all know. This is all American. This is all predominantly shown on ITV. Although Star Trek, I remember being a 7pm on Thursdays kind of vibe. Or was it earlier? Mm. It was certainly Thursdays. Mm. Yeah, um, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, no, I, I remember watching The Next Generation, 1980, well, 88, I think we finally got it here. But I enjoyed that time? because... I recognised uh, Patrick Stewart. And I thought, oh, okay, we'll yes, give this I a I like go. him. I like him. He's nice. There's a great um, film called Galaxy Quest. Have you ever seen that? No. No, you wouldn't, I'm film. sure. It's it's uh, Yes, that's true. But it's a piss take on all the Star Trek thing, and uh, Alan Rickman's the main man in that. Ooh, it's okay. very good. It's very good. I like that. It's one of those cult films. I wonder okay. if, if you would like it. Mm, I could add long. it to the list. How long is it? It's about 95 minutes. Oh, that's possible. I mean, Punishment Park attracted me largely because it's 88 minutes long. Right. We can do that. That's carry-on length, isn't it? Yeah, with three breaks, I found. With pause, go to the loo, pause, put the kettle on, pause, put the kettle on again because it's gone cold. I had to do that, obviously, to get through. But worth it. I shall give it a watch this week, most definitely. So what are you doing this week, then, dear? Oh, this week. What am I doing? Well, I've, I've picked this up. You've got your books from uh, from the Morrison's table. Um, yes. I was uh, back at the um, uh, one of the charity shops, and I picked up uh, this, which uh, this book, um, ah. Ronnie Corbett, and it's Good Night from Him. Now, this is uh, the autobiography, but it's not Ronnie Corbett's autobiography. It's the autobiography of the two Ronnies okay. and how they work together. So I'm going to be demolishing this. I abs- I adore the two Ronnies. Oh, I, yes. I love them. And, oh, yes. And there's room for that sort of comedy. And we haven't oh, got absolutely. it, but there is room for that. So I'm going to absolutely love demolishing that. Um, what about yeah. yourself? What's the nice things? Uh, nice things this week. I'm looking forward to finally completing the decorating, uh, which has been a long time coming. I've just got to varnish. No, I've varnished the doors. Um, I've just got to do some painting, um, and yeah, just just relax. I would like mm. to relax now, please. That will be uh, nice. As nice. summer is almost over, Paul. It is. Oh God, yes, it is. It is indeed. Know. Which means work. Work is looming for us uh, both in another talk. Yes. Light work. It's hard, isn't it? Hard it is. Work. I like sitting in the house watching television. I'm quite good at that. I'm brilliant at it. Yeah, there should you be know. a grant. There would have yes. been a grant 30 years ago for that. Yes. Can't we write an Arts Council bid for it? Oh, I'm sure. Just say it's a piece of installation art. Yeah, we could be the new Gilbert and George, but we largely just sit there watching telly. Watching the telly, that's great. That well, I, sh- I shall leave it there then. So uh, until yes. next time, my dear, have a wonderful mm-hmm. week and everyone at home, uh, bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Do
presented by Sir Michael Livesley and Lady Paul Carmichael. The music was written by Michael Livesley, and the flutes were played by Andy Frizzell and John No Jokes Please Lewis. Nice Things is a Guilty Dog Production.